You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So I've got a lot of notes on the Brian Gutekunst press conference, so I want to start with that because that's probably going to take kind of a long time. Outside of that, it's just kind of regular general news and notesy stuff. So that's what's on the agenda today. Obviously, more free agency stuff, etc., etc. So, if you wouldn't mind jumping in the Facebook group, that'd be great. It's the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Follow the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. And if you enjoy the show, it would be very, very greatly appreciated if you would jump in on Patreon. It's a way to support me in my endeavors. And you can do it for as little as a dollar a month. If you are a regular listener, you're consuming, I mean, dozens of hours of Packers content per month. So, again, if you can find it in your heart to give me a buck a month, for literally dozens of hours of content. I would very much appreciate that. While we're on the topic, thank you very much to Zachary for jumping on board. If you are a patron, you or if you're in the Facebook group, you saw one of the newest perks that I added to Patreon. It's called, when the podcast uh, hosting company shuts down and doesn't work, I'll upload the audio to Patreon. That's not something I planned on, but I have the audio file. Might as well put it out there. And no, I'm not just going to post it in the Facebook group. That's just not ever going to happen, sorry. Also, it's relatively ad-free in Patreon, which is to say all the stuff that I read is there, but the stuff that gets inserted, that's just gone, because that happens on the hosting side. So, extra perk. Maybe if I have time, I'll start just putting these in Patreon so you can listen to it there ad-free. Ad-ish free, you know, about half of them are gone. Anyways, why don't we take a break, and then uh, start talking about this Brian Gutekunst interview. I don't know if you guys noticed or not, but in a, in about a week, it's going to be February. And that means the Cactus League spring training is actually coming up. It's, it's going down in like a month. So if you're about fed up with all this winter nonsense, for those of you that are partaking in it like I am, I really think you should consider this. It's a relatively inexpensive vacation in which you get to hang out and watch baseball, and then when that's done, get to go enjoy what Arizona has to offer. Which for most of the country and most of the world, that's a very unique part of the country there's a lot going on over there that you don't get to find in many places and that's what's great about it is is that there's a little bit for everybody if you want to go see and experience some stuff that's a great place to go if you just want to watch baseball it's a great place to go if you want to do outdoorsy type stuff fantastic place to go if you couldn't care less and just want to go to a nice resort and go swimming and eat lots of food good food and go pub crawling guess what still a pretty good place to go So do yourself a favor and at least go check out the website. Go plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. And while we're at it, why don't we talk about security while you're gone? What happens when that guy down the street, the the crazy guy, we'll call him Brantonio, you know, the guy that's a little bit off, what happens when he starts throwing rocks at your windows? What are you going to do? You're not even there. Nothing you can do about it. You're in Arizona kicking back, drinking Mai Tais and rubbing barbecue sauce on your chest. Nothing you can do about Brantonio. Well, that's where Simply Safe comes in, where they can bring commercial grade enterprise level security to your home. So when Brantonio starts throwing rocks and barking like a dog, because he's going a little crazy, Simply Safe will pick all that up. There will be cameras that will be able to broadcast what's going on to the police, and the police will be able to show up knowing exactly what's going on, respond, and get that man off your property. Not only do they have sensors that will be able to pick all that stuff up, they have cameras, as I mentioned. They've also got doorbells, so that when your doorbell rings, you'll get alerted to that. Nothing is going to happen in, near, around your house without you knowing about it. And if something crazy is going on, it's not going to happen without the authorities knowing about it. It's also going to protect your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning. And best of all, we're talking 50 cents per day. $15 a month. Do you know how much useless garbage we spend $15 on in a month? A lot. This is a very, very smart investment for your home. So go to simplysafe.com slash overtime today to get free shipping on your order plus a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime to save on home security today. Simplysafe.com slash overtime. Alrighty, let's talk about Mr. Brian Gutekunst. 
So somewhat going through point by point, I guess, at the very beginning, he went on to call the season a good foundation, which is a great thing to hear. Because I think we, we, although we know it and we say it a lot, we kind of forget that this was, this is ground zero. Gutekunst going into free agency was less about going all in, which, you know, there's, all these terms are just kind of made up things. But for me, what I'm talking about is typically all in is when your team is close and you push in your chips because you think you can do it now. The fact of the matter is Brian Gutekunst was not going all in. I know he said we always go all in. Of course you always go all in. But there's different strategies based on where you're at. And the fact of the matter is this wasn't a matter of we're really close. If we can just get a couple pass rushers, we're going to win a Super Bowl. This was a matter of, and he mentioned this in the press conference, we are so far away right now. There is a lot that has to get done. The fact of the matter is they needed to go out and overhaul several positions and then go into the draft just to kind of lay a foundation. And again, that's exactly what he called it. It was a good foundation. And that's great to hear him say and to confirm that and to also remember that. Getting to 14 wins in the NFC Championship game, I mean, of course that's the goal. That's because it's always the goal, just like the Super Bowl is always the goal. But we're, we're talking about goals and realistic expectations. And so it was really great to hear him kind of phrase it that way. And again, later on, he went on to kind of talk about that. He also talked about the the locker room being foundationally laid, which is another underappreciated point. Uh, what Matt LaFleur was able to do, what a lot of the free agents were able to do, the, the way that the veterans as well as the newer guys kind of gelled together. There wasn't this sort of us versus them thing. There's not a our way versus your way. They did a great job of saying this is our way. And I think part of the reason it worked out, obviously Matt LaFleur played a big part of that, but I really do like the leadership overall and the fact that a lot of the veterans, it's not about our way. I think there's there's two kinds of guys that were in the locker room. There were guys that say, I'm here for me, and I like kind of the lack of accountability type stuff that's going on. I don't need another coach. I don't want to be pushed more. I'm, I'm good. Then you've got guys, for example, like Aaron Rodgers, who, when things aren't going well, says, this isn't good enough, I want better. I think Brian Gutekunst poached a lot of the guys out of the locker room that had that sort of lazy attitude and were left with guys that wanted better. So when better showed up, from the coaching staff to the players to just the mentality in general of this hasn't been good enough, we will do better, and you will accept that and embrace that or you'll be gone, I think everybody there said, yes, thank you, finally. And so the buy-in part wasn't that hard. And it, it's sort of it's sort of a... Um, I don't know how to describe it. But if, if anybody's not on board with that, they're going to be gone anyways. So you will get on board. Otherwise, we don't want you here anyways. You're not the right kind of person, and we need to replace you. And so that was a very, very cool, although a, a minor comment. It's it's great to kind of reframe where we're at and also to feel good about where we're going, right? If this is Brian Gutekunst just starting to lay a foundation, oh my goodness. If this is Matt LaFleur just coming in and, and just getting started trying to implement an offense and trying to make a, a locker room come together, wow. If this, in, in a sense, is Mike Pettin starting to build a defense once he finally got some guys that he likes, I think calling that foundational, as in this is sort of ground zero, I'm pretty okay with that. But also the, the idea from, and this is the other cool part, I think this is a note for later, but since we're here, let's say it. For, for very many years, and I've been saying this for a while now, the problem I had was that you had guys like, you know, you know, let's just be honest, Ted Thompson and Mike McCarthy kind of had their feet up after a while. There really wasn't a lot of accountability. Everybody felt safe, and in that feeling safe, there was kind of a lazy attitude. No underperforming people were fired. And then at the end of the year, you had sort of players, especially guys like Aaron Rodgers who felt secure enough to say it, coming out and saying this wasn't good enough, I'm not happy, we need to do better. We need more better players in here. We need a better attitude in here. And then you get Mike McCarthy to go to the podium and talk about how great everything was. And Ted Thompson wouldn't even go to the podium. And now, if you think about it, we have Aaron Rodgers going to the podium and saying, look, I actually think this is a really good team. And Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst both go to the podium and say, eh, no, not good enough, sorry. It's pretty disappointing, actually. I mean, I'm, you know, Gutekunst was a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more in, in between as far as saying we did a good job starting this process but in no way saying that this was good enough, saying that this was absolutely not good enough, and we have a long way to go. And, and I also want to reiterate, this started with Mark Murphy. And I keep saying that because a lot of people, for some reason, don't like him. Everything that we got to enjoy this year is because of Mark Murphy. Again, the way that this happened is we had all these issues with everybody with their feet up. Things started on fire. Mark Murphy smelled smoke, turned around, said, what is going on? Saw a bunch of people sleeping while there was a fire. He fired everybody. He brought up Brian Gutekunst partially because of how good he is at drafting, but also making sure that he has the same mentality of 
I, I, I demand perfection. Gutekunst, with that mentality that Murphy said he wanted, and that Gutekunst also wants, and by the way, I'm sure there were personnel people and everything else like Gutekunst who were sitting back there watching it happen, saying that are that are fuming. And so when now given the opportunity to step up and start, you know, hatcheting everything, he went in and did exactly that. Started cutting dead weight. And then they went out and found a coach that has that same mentality. And now you hear it from Matt LaFleur. And so now we have the exact opposite where instead of having coaches saying, you know, I think we're doing a great job. You know, you guys just don't understand. You don't see all the stuff that's going on and all the good that's going on. And then seeing Rodgers come to the podium and go, okay, whatever. I don't know about that, Chief. You have Rodgers expressing how happy he was. And and he has a right to be happy with how good things started to come together and and how, you know, maybe players and people are underappreciated and the media and everything's being too harsh on them. But then the, 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 the big wigs come up and they're like, no, this was, this was garbage. This is no good. We're, we, we expect better and we will be better. Thank you, John, by the way, for jumping in on Patreon. Let me actually send you a message real quick. John makes 70, by the way. 70 people now on Patreon. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. As a reminder, uh, at the end of this month, I'm going to choose one person who has given. It doesn't have to be on Patreon. I've had people give through Facebook, Venmo, PayPal, whatever. Um, everybody that has given will be entered in. Uh, $1 is one entry. Somebody will be getting a free uh, t-shirt from the store unless we get a flurry of 30 people in the next six days, in which case there will be a better prize. But anyways, that uh, that part has me excited. And, and, and again, Brian Gutekunst, for me personally, although I don't expect him to be able to do what he did in free agency every year because that was, I mean, let's let's call it what it is. To some degree, that was absolutely a fluke. That just doesn't happen. But he has, at the very least, given me personally a lot of confidence in, number one, being able to identify problems, and number two, being able to satisfy those problems. So if he, you know, when they go through these meetings with the coaches and the staff and, and, and the analytics folks and trying to put together this picture of where we are and where we need to go based on our deficiencies, based on our scheme, based on what the rest of the league is doing and how do we combat that, all these pieces and pictures come together it's going to point to a couple different things positionally as well as 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 fits within those positions the kind of prototype we're looking for and again Gutekunst's ability to go out and find those people and plug them in um obviously it's not perfect no there, there's zero personnel people that that are or ever will be perfect because it's impossible most of the people in the draft are not they're just not very good that's just the reality I mean, as I've said several times now, even the first round, you're, you're batting maybe 50%. Maybe. Depends on the year. Some years, obviously, there's some great players. Some years, I mean, you're, you're lucky if, if a third of these guys are even worth a first or even contribute very much. Within three to four or five years, they're all gone. But I think Gutekunst uh, is at or near the top in terms of what he's done. I don't think he's had that real big draft, right? That that super rare draft that, that occasionally it just transforms a team. You know, you think the Baltimore Ravens, maybe you could say that, although it's pretty much just Lamar, so that was one good pick. And then things kind of coming together. The Titans, everything just kind of came together. But you think about the Saints, you think about the Chiefs, you think about the, the Seahawks a long time ago, how they just have that one draft in which they hit on like three, four, five guys that just transform the team. But um, I'm hopeful that he's going to get one of those drafts one of these days where he just hits on a bunch of picks. Now look, getting Darnell Savage and Elton Jenkins in that bat. Um, continuing on. I just want to throw this out there. Somebody on Twitter who will remain nameless, but uh, just think of somebody who's always angry, always negative all the time. Granted, there's a lot of them, but just think about, you know, the main one. Anyways, he had made the comment about how angry he is that Brian Gutekunst said that he was okay with wide receivers last year and how ridiculously unacceptable that is. Here's the problem with that comment, and I understand it's your job and your profession to just be angry and pretend you know better than everybody all the time. I get that. Here's the part you're probably missing. First of all, which is shocking because this is someone that supposedly has been doing this for a very long time, the fact that it escapes you that just because you need something doesn't mean you can go out and get it. That's something that I would think at least 50% of fans need to recognize. We needed help at wide receiver and he didn't get it. What help? What help should he have gotten? Who in free agency was the big guy that we should have gone out and gotten free agent? Do you even remember any of the free agent wide receivers last year? Name them. Go through the top 20 wide receivers. How many of them were, were free agent acquisitions, you know, around free agency time in March? Not Amari Cooper, by the way. That was back in 2018. That was October of 2018. That was not last free agency. The number one free agent, by the way, was Antonio Brown. And a lot of people felt that Antonio Brown is somebody that we should absolutely go out and get. 
I don't think this person particularly ever directly said we should go get Antonio Brown, but combing through his Twitter, he clearly was, for example, praising the group of receivers that are over in New England, one of them being Antonio Brown, while being disgusted with the group that um, Aaron Rodgers has to work with. So you're kind of saying maybe we should have gone that route. Let's see, the next best wide receiver, Martavis Bryant. Any idea what happened to that guy? Michael Crabtree, what did he do this year? Is he even in the league? Des Bryant, Kelvin Benjamin, Pierre Garçon, Josh Doxson, Dante Moncrief, Deontay Thompson, Bruce Ellington, Antonio Callaway, TJ Jones. So again, go back to 2019 and, and cry about how horrible it is that Brian Gutekunst simply was okay with the wide receivers we have. And by the way, just because he goes to the podium and says, you know what, I feel good about the guys we have, doesn't mean he wasn't begging and pleading and scratching and clawing to find wide receiver talent somewhere. Of course he wants to get better wide receivers. My point is there aren't any. There was only one guy. His name was Antonio Brown. The Packers made the executive decision, as most teams did, not to even consider the guy because he's a little bit of a head case. And if you want to dispute that today, you go ahead. You're going to lose that argument. The guy is out of his mind. I mean, literally. And, and, and the fact of the matter is you listen to what he had said later on in the season. I mean, what he had said he had done later in the season where he was looking to find more explosive players but didn't feel there was much talent, and the talent that was there, he didn't feel it was a good value, which the only player I think he could be talking about is Emmanuel Sanders because he was available. He just didn't like the value. And to be fair, they did give up, the 49ers gave up a third and a fourth round pick. They got back a fifth for Emmanuel Sanders. That is kind of a lot. Granted, we could use Emmanuel Sanders, but let's think about it from today's standpoint. No question this is a better offense with Emmanuel Sanders. I had said from day one, the guy is underrated. He's a very talented guy, and he is. Number one, do we beat the 49ers if we have Emmanuel Sanders and they don't? I don't think so. I don't think it's even close. Number two, the situation we're in now would be horrible because, first of all, we would have lost to the 49ers. We would have a 31-year-old, is he something like that, wide receiver? We would not have a third or a fourth round pick, and we'd be in a wide receiver-heavy class. He... Brian Gutekunst would be getting trashed right now from top to bottom for getting Emmanuel Sanders because we don't need him. We can draft an Emmanuel Sanders, and we could probably get him in the second round. The only other complaint you could have about last year is why didn't we draft one? But who do you want to give up? The first wide receiver taken was at pick 25. Should we have not taken Darnell Savage and gotten Hollywood Brown instead? I don't want that. I'm not trading that. Debo Samuel has gone before we were up on the board. So that's not an option. We could have taken A.J. Brown instead of Elton Jenkins, but still, as good as A.J. Brown is, and again, let's not pretend that we don't know that 2020 is a stacked wide receiver class. Do we want to draft A.J. Brown over Elton Jenkins? I don't think so. Maybe. But this, I mean, this isn't cut and dry. And again, to sit here on Twitter and, and complain that Brian Gutekunst didn't draft a wide receiver because he thought we were fine. Don't be dumb. Don't be dumb. He knows what's going on. Just because he uses nice words at the podium, and listen, he said it again today. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to look at that position, and I think uh, we're, we're going to try to address that. And then, uh, you know, we've also got some guys that are going to be able to come back and compete. He knows full well that nobody is coming back to compete. I mean, they'll come back, but they're not going to compete. He has no intention of our number two wide receiver being anybody that's on this team. But he says it because they're still on your team. And, and let me elaborate on that since we're there right now. He had made the comment that um, the issue with the wide receivers was, although we had guys step up on occasion, we didn't have a consistent number two. And that was kind of the, the reality throughout, right? I, I had kind of said through most of the season that, that that ended up kind of being our number two, was that we had a rotation. We didn't have a number two, but we always had somebody step up to be the number two on a week-to-week basis. And that was kind of how we were getting by. And then I think toward the end of the season, Lazar did fill in nicely as a number two. I think one of the other things we need to consider, though, is the hidden cost. There's stuff that we we don't really get to see. And the fact of the matter is Alan Lazard was an undrafted free agent for a reason. He was cut by the Green Bay Packers for a reason. And although he brings a certain skill set and we got to see the positives, we don't get to see the, the, for example, opportunity cost. For example, let's look at it and say, I would in this situation, I would like to call this play. However, this play requires a number two that can do X. The guy that can do X is Marquez. 
except he's not very good at doing X, but he's the one guy. Like, we, we, we want speed right now. The guy that I'd like on the field is Alan Lazard, so instead of calling the play that we should call in this situation, we're going to call a different play, which is not super optimal, but it's going to get the guys that I want on the field out there. I think the point is... Matt LaFleur, Brian Gutekunst, these guys have a specific vision for what the wide receiver across from Devontae Adams looks like. They have a specific vision for what our slot receiver or our number three receiver look like. And those guys don't exist on this roster right now. So although everything I said yesterday was true about, listen, in terms of their talent and what they were able to do, they they did perform, right? Uh, Kumaro as a number three is is on par talent-wise with what a lot of number threes look like, and Alan Lazard is on par or possibly even ahead of what a lot of number twos look like. But that still doesn't change the fact that Matt LaFleur is looking at this saying, look, I need guys that can do X, Y, and Z. And we just don't really have that. And so I think going forward, I do, I mean, obviously I expect us to get uh, more talent in those areas. But I also think it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a first-round free. It doesn't need to be a Devontae Adams that can do everything. But there needs to be somebody that's not a fifth-round guy that's just speed, right? We need better speed. We've had speed. We've had Janice. We've had Trevor Davis. We've had Marquez. We've had plenty of guys with, with optimal speed that just can't produce. So I think there has to be a higher premium put on it. I think later than the third round is an absolute mistake unless we did something in free agency. But even so, we're going to you know need to do better. But again, it doesn't have to be a do-everything Jerry Judy type because we have Devontae Adams, who's that guy. We just need to find somebody that is a capable number two. So we need to take all the stuff we've been saying about, you know, let's say speed, because that does seem to be a thing that they really, really want our number two guy to have is speed. Okay, well, maybe it doesn't have to be, you know, Henry Ruggs, a guy who's going to run like in the 4-2 and is one of the top receivers in the class. But let's get a guy that's at least a really good wide receiver and not a guy that's just fast, like just tall and fast, just because he's tall and fast. Let's pay a little bit more attention to a guy that has the speed dynamic that you need, but is also just a good wide receiver. And I think we're going to see a little bit of that. And I actually wouldn't be surprised if we dabble in free agency and the draft. I just have a feeling there's going to be a little bit of a load-up factor, and I think they're going to hedge against possibly getting a wide receiver that isn't dominant in their first year. Maybe to get that that veteran present. Somewhat somewhat similar to what we did with Rashawn and Zadarius and Preston, but maybe a little bit more emphasis on the draft and not getting two veteran wide receivers. But something to that effect where... In case we're getting sort of a developmental prospect or somebody that isn't just hitting on day one, we want to make sure that we at least fulfill this and, and satisfy this. And so we're going to look at free agency and just try to hedge our bets a little bit. That's just kind of where I'm thinking maybe they're going to try to go. And if they go big anywhere, I think it's going to be in the draft. I don't think they're going to go out and, and look for an Amari Cooper, which, by the way, we're going to possibly get to that, although we're running rapidly out of time. Bottom line on that, Amari ain't coming here. Even if he doesn't sign with Dallas, he ain't coming here. So... Anyways, I, that, that's kind of what I took from that. It's not that we don't have guys that can't step up situationally. We just need a guy that can be consistently on the field and, and do the things that we need our number two to do. Not, you know, depending on what play, we're going to put MVS or Kumaro or Lazard out there. A good route runner with speed and good hands that can, that can be out there on first and ten, who can run a go route, who can be out there on fourth and one, all that stuff. you got to be able to do all of it. Everything that is being expected of the number two, right? Again, I'm not saying an elite number one. I'm just saying that they have a definition of what the number two is, and they need to get a guy that can satisfy all those points, whatever it is. And I definitely think that's that's on the radar of taking it very seriously this year. And I think it's going to get done. Speaking of getting it done, it was nice to hear Gutekunst kind of say what I've been saying and trying to convince people of for a very long time, and that is the fact that we do have plenty of money. There's been a lot of people, especially last year, it's kind of tapered off a little bit, but I remember early last year you had certain people, again, not naming names, but relatively well-known people saying, look, we just don't have money. We're, we might not even be able to bring back new people or, or bring back our people, much less sign free agents. I mean, that, that was just wildly out of the question. It's never going to happen. That's silly. And the fact of the matter is Brian Gutekunst said, look, we're going to be a little bit more restricted than we were last year, but we have the money we need to re-sign the guys we want to re-sign and go into free agency and to fill the needs that we feel we need to fill. In other words, we have a checklist, sign these guys, go out in free agency and, and get these guys, and then they look at their cap and they say, do we have the money to get it done? And the answer to that he has come to is yes, because the answer is yes. And again, the, the, the biggest thing we have to remember is the annual salary that is, that is given to a person has nothing to do with what they're going to count against the cap. So the problem is we look at it and say, okay, Kenny's going to get $20 million a year. Well, that drops us to 10 because we only have like 30. And then we re-sign like three more guys. Oh, we're done. We're out of money. 
we're, we're, we're out of money. And that's, that's what we had last year. We're out of money. And we, we'd, we'd have no money for free agency, absolutely. That's just not how it works, though. That's not how any of this works. So, you know, again, there, there is less money, so there are more restrictions. And we do have some big contracts coming up, so there are some restrictions. And by the way, at this time last year, we had about $40 million in salary cap space. Right now, the Packers are sitting at around 32. So they're maybe $8 million lower. And they do have some big contracts coming up. But one of them is Kenny Clark, who, by the way, he's not a free agent. If, if they just take on his, his fifth year, he's going to get about $7.7 million. They can give him a new contract and not pay him any more, which is to say the additional cap hit for Kenny Clark is zero. It'll probably be a little bit more than zero, but again, we can't just look at it and say, well, if we pay Kenny Clark $17, $18, 19000000 million, we lose 17 so you take 32 minus that. That's just not, that's not it. The 32 includes $7.7 million for Kenny Clark. That's already baked in. If we remove that, we have $40 million, which is about the exact same amount of money we had last year. So, I don't know. Anyways, we're fine. It's not going to be as crazy as last year, but we're also not looking for as premium or as many a position. We don't need a safety and a guard and two edge rushers. Go get a wide receiver. And by the way, if you take Zadarius and Preston and Amos and Billy Turner and you say, instead of getting four guys, we just want to get one really good guy, you think we could afford it? And that's assuming that there's even one that's available, which I don't know that there will be. Amari's probably going to get re, um, re-signed, which I might as well just say it. He, he, he came out flat out said, it's not all about money. It, it also depends where you want to play. And I'm sure there's a lot of factors into that. But he flat out said he doesn't want to play somewhere where it's snowing. He, he said something to the effect of, look, I'm from South Florida not wanting to play somewhere where it's snowy and cold, that, that factors in. He's really only talking about like three places. All right, Minnesota's a dome, so he doesn't want to play in Buffalo, he doesn't want to play in Chicago, he doesn't want to play in Green Bay. There's a couple others, but, you know, he ain't coming here. But, you know, if they want to take a flyer on A.J. Green, could they afford it? I don't think A.J. Green's going to be a free agent. I think he's going to play in Cincinnati, but could they? Yeah. fact of the matter is there, there really aren't that many other options at wide receiver, so we might be talking about a high-priced tight end. But again, the point is, as I talked about, I think yesterday, of course we can afford that, especially if we get rid of Jimmy Graham, because the savings from cutting Jimmy Graham would almost equal the amount of money that we would need to bring in a guy uh, like Austin Hooper, or Hunter Henry for that matter, even though it's, you know, almost a foregone conclusion that he's going to be back with uh, with the Chargers. So I, I just I just wouldn't worry about it. And, and, and the other cool thing, too, is they're not going to go out and just spend money just for the heck of it. If they get a guy, it's because they believe that, number one, it's a good value. In other words, we're not hurting our team by spending too much. And number two, there's a genuine belief that this is going to work out. right? They didn't just go out and spend $17 million on Zadarius because, well, that's what it takes to get him here, and we just need a guy. And we expect him to produce kind of how he's always produced. No, the expectation is he's going to play like a $17 million edge rusher, and he did. So get excited, man. Something's going to happen. Might not be exactly what you want, but again, go through this list and understand, you know, seven out of ten of these guys are going to get re-signed, and you understand there's not a lot of talent out there. Dak's going to get re-signed. Chris Jones, I'm willing to bet, is going to get re-signed. I don't really know their salary cap situation, but letting him go would just be the dumbest thing ever. Amari's probably going to get re-signed. Jadavian is probably going to get re-signed, and either way, he's not coming to Green Bay. Shaquille Barrett is going to get re-signed. Ryan Tannehill's going to get re-signed. And just, again, most of these guys we just don't need. Safeties, we don't need safeties. Maybe Byron Jones, but we're not going to pay a ton for a cornerback. There's there's no reason. Plus, the Eagles are going to sign him. No, a guard? No. I mean, maybe, but going out and spending a bunch of money on a guard to replace the high-priced guard he just paid, probably not going to happen. So, Thune and Scherf, probably not. But again, the, 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 the benefit of this is that while a lot of teams are looking at a lot of different players, the competition for, you know, the one wide receiver, the one tight end, or the one linebacker, I feel like the Packers are in a good spot, and they've put themselves in a good spot by satisfying a lot of needs last year, and also understanding that they have the potential in the draft to to get a wide receiver. So if they want to get Austin Hooper and Corey Littleton, guess what? They can do it. Again, cut cut Jimmy Graham, and you almost already paid for Austin Hooper. Maybe throw another couple uh, million dollars, which you might not even have to do, depending on how you structure the contract. And Corey Littleton, even if he's a $15 million linebacker, because now apparently you have to pay linebackers a billion dollars, I think that's doable. I really do. And uh, the, the Bears linebacker, I don't think, is getting $15 million. But I don't know. Whatever. Point is, I, th- I just think they're in a good spot, and I'm, I'm very excited to see how we go about handling it. And again, is, is, uh, although they don't have as much money, they don't need as much money. So that, that would be the, the benefit. The other kind of cool thing, Brian Gutekunst had mentioned that he's got a little bit of Ted Thompson in him. He'd like to bring all the guys back. 
I'm sure that's true, but this has to be a really eye-opening thing for Brian Gutekunst and the rest of the group. Obviously, he's already more dedicated to free agency, but to see how beneficial it was, and obviously he knows the benefit of bringing guys back financially and, and you know the cohesion and, and, and the loyalty and all the benefits that come with that. But to say, I'm going to go out on a limb and do something differently than what my protege Ted Thompson did, and I believe it's going to work, and seeing how well it worked, it's just verification that this is the way to go. Not to do it willy-nilly, not to just say, we need a wide receiver, so I'm going to go pay for one. And it doesn't really matter how it works, just a big-name guy, throw as much money at him as possible, and then boom, we're fixed. But if you can, if you really see a guy that you believe, um, like Zadarius, can come in and be the guy, and being willing to say, you know what, it's going to cost a lot, and Ted wouldn't do it, but I'm willing to pay for it, because we need it. And I'm, I'm willing to, you know, y- you pay for talent. You don't overpay for it, but you got to pay for it. And if you want it, you got to go get it. There's only so many picks you get in the draft. And maybe you hit on one or two, and you just can't build a team that way. You just can't because the turnover, you're losing guys, and you're losing talent as quickly as you're adding it, either from retirements or you're cutting them or just the talent starts to fall off over time, like Clay, Good player, but he just didn't have it anymore. So it's, it's a very good thing that it happened because, again, it's just confirmation for the rest of the organization to say that this is the right way to go about it. Not recklessly, but if we can find a guy that we really want, we're going to go get him. And that's very, very cool. And again, it's why I'm confident that, first of all, if we don't get a guy like Corey Littleton, it's not because they're not willing. And that's why I don't like those comments on Twitter about, oh, he just he just sitting on his hands and thinks the guy that we guys that we have are good enough. That's dumb. If he believes there is a guy out there that can come in and produce at a high level, he will go get him. The fact that he didn't, and we just went through the names, means there weren't any good wide receivers available. And guess what? There weren't. Not one. But let's get mad at Gutekunst because he just he just let us have these wide receivers. And we'll just pretend that there were other options even though there were not. Because he came to the podium and said he's optimistic about the guys we have. Because of course he's going to say that. What do you think? What is he going to do? Is he going to go to the podium and say, listen, I tried to get us better wide receivers. I'm really sorry. These guys are terrible. We're in trouble. I'm going to keep looking. I'll keep looking to see what we can do. But these guys are a joke. I mean, we had to sign, re-sign Geronimo. You know, give him another million bucks just to keep him around. That's how dire this is. This is garbage, and I apologize. I'm, I'm, when, I, when I leave here, I'm going to get on the phone, and I'm going to beg for a wide receiver. I mean, we're, is that what you want? You would be a garbage GM if you would do that. And, of course, we all know that that's not going to happen, so why do we act like that's what we expect from them? Just, it drives me nuts seeing people say stuff like that. Anyways, why don't we actually take a break here? We'll finish out these notes and see how far we get, and maybe we'll just save the rest for tomorrow. But uh, we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. This episode of the Packernet Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic a subscription-based sports news site for real sports fans. Make sure you get all the latest information from guys like Jay Glazier, Michael Lombardi, Dane Brugler, and of course lots of very talented local writers. With that subscription, as I've said, you gotta make sure, you're making sure that you're not getting any ads, but you're also getting very high-quality articles. Make sure you're getting full access to all sports teams, cities, and writers, because you can even subscribe to your city and just get all the news in your area making sure that you get the content that you care about. It really is a one-stop shop for passionate sports fans. With that subscription, you're going to get exclusive content, smart analysis, advanced analytic, in-depth analysis and insights, smart coverage, unique content, original content. So if you're ready to get started, go to theathletic.com overtime to get 40% off a yearly subscription. That's theathletic.com overtime. All right, so I want to turn our attention to another thing that was brought up, and that is the idea of running backs. And obviously, any time you ask, would you ever consider drafting this position, the answer is always going to be yes. He was asked about quarterbacks. The answer is yes. If there's good quarterbacks, we'll take good quarterback. He, he mentioned it about defensive line. He mentioned it about offensive line. He said it about, uh, well, obviously, he said they're going to be looking at wide receivers and tight ends. And when asked about running backs, his answer was yes, because his answer will always be yes. However, if we really think about this situation, he talked about, first of all, you want to make sure you have three or four. We technically have three. We have Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and Dexter Williams, and we have Tyler Irvin, who we have to figure out what to do with because he is a free agent. And I think there's a good chance he's earned a role, and if that's the case, we've got four. So you could say getting another one would be a little silly. 
However, long-term, the problem is I don't think Tyler Irvin is a legit running back. I think we're looking at Tyler Irvin the same way we're looking at Alan Lazard, in which he is extremely limited, but he does do some cool stuff. He makes some really big plays, and you can use him in certain situations. In other words, we want him, but do you really consider him a, a, a back? The same way you consider Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams, where if you needed to, you put him out there as a four-down back. No, not so much. The other thing to consider is Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are unrestricted free agents in 2021, which is to say they're signed through one more year. I'm sh- I shouldn't say I'm sure, but I'm willing to bet Aaron Jones comes back. Regard- I mean, he's going to want a lot of money. So that, that would be the only reason I say I'm pretty sure. And so, you know, the, the question really becomes if, if he's looking at saying, I want 15, 16 million, the Packers might look at that and go, I don't know, man, that's a little crazy. Um, but be- beyond that, Jamal Williams is, is not a guarantee especially if we want to pay Aaron Jones a lot of money, do you also want to offer up a contract to Jamal Williams? When Let's be honest, I love Jamal Williams, especially as a person. I love seeing him dance out there. He's a staple of Green Bay. I'd love to be able to keep him. However, Jamal Williams is not getting paid a ton of money. He's averaging like 700000 a year because he's on a rookie contract. And so the question is, would you want to pay Jamal Williams 2 $3 million or just replace him? Because, again, as much as I have respect for him, I think he's sort of an easily replaceable guy. Especially if we start to move toward being like San Francisco or whatever, you, you want to build a system in which the running back is less important. If you notice, San Francisco can plug anybody in there and they're a great running back. And, and if you have a really good running back, they, it, it amplifies how good they are. But you, you can you, there's no reason to pay a guy like Jamal a number two, like three, four million. And, and the fact of the matter is he's probably more valuable somewhere else than here. So, you know, you can make a case for any one of these guys sticking around, Aaron Jones, Jamal, and Tyler Irvin. You can also make a case for any one of these three not being there. And I think the benefit of drafting a guy, and I'm not talking first round, the benefit of continually drafting guys is that it gives you options. And it gives you also leverage. If you get a guy in the third round or fourth round that's really, really talented and is a clear number two or or possibly you know, somewhat up there, close to up there where Aaron Jones is, Suddenly that leverage is gone. It's hard for Aaron Jones to make a case that the Packers should pay him $16 million when we got a guy that's doing what Aaron Jones can do. It's hard to make a case that we should pay Jamal even 2 to $3 million when we got a guy that's better than Jamal, so we're paying him millions of dollars to be, what, number three? So, I, you know, I, again, it, it just gives you more flexibility to where, of course, you want to keep everybody. You want to keep Aaron, Jamal, and Tyler. But if you draft enough people and you have enough options, it, it allows you to make better decisions and to be able to say no because you always want to be in a situation where you're able to say no if you need to it's also worth noting that although he's a fullback Danny Vitale is is uh, a free agent this year so granted it's possible we just look at a a legit fullback or tight end to fill that role but there's a little bit of overlap between running back and fullback so again it, it it's something to play with and and getting people depending on what skill sets they have it can it can help you out and also let's not forget it's it's entirely possible you don't just have to have one running back or a running back and a fullback. You can have two back. And again, if you get a guy that's about as good as Aaron Jones and you put Aaron Jones and that guy on the field, and let's say both of them are good running backs and both of them are good receivers, oh my goodness. So there's a lot of reasons why it would make sense to get a back. And it doesn't always mean some people get sensitive about it. It's like, why would you do that? We have Aaron Jones. Well, because it's not just about the fact that we have Aaron Jones through 2020. It's about what you. It's it's about the additional added benefit in 2020. It's about guys like Tyler Irvin and Danny Vitale that we have to make decisions about. It's also about 2021 and what we do going forward. And as well, it's it's about depth. What happens if Aaron Jones gets hurt? How big of a drop off is it from having Aaron Jones for 16 games and having Jamal Williams for 16 games? Again, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but that's a pretty big drop off. So I I would say that it actually makes sense, and I wouldn't be surprised. Of course, the biggest problem with the draft is that nobody has enough pick. So it's easy to say we should get a running back, and we should get a wide receiver. We should also look at getting a tackle. We should get some more depth along the offensive line in general, so maybe we should get a guard. We should consider getting a better backup for for Aaron Rodgers, so we should probably get a quarterback. Maybe not first round, but we should get a quarterback. Also, definitely need to get another tight end just in case Jace doesn't pan out. We absolutely have to get a defensive tackle to put next to Kenny because that's just not working. we got to get at least one linebacker. And we should probably get another corner to get a little bit more depth. And if I didn't mention it, we need at least one wide receiver. And although you can almost do that because I think I listed eight positions, and the Packers actually do have, what do they have? They have nine picks. So you can technically get all the positions covered, but let's not act like if the first time we draft a defensive tackle or a wide receiver is the seventh round because two of our picks are seventh round, that you're not going to throw an absolute fit about it. Because the fact of the after the fourth round, we kind of just assume it's probably not going to pan out super well, unless it's maybe a running back or a guard. So we, we, we've got like four picks, and, and everybody wants to get about seven or eight different positions. 
and I'm looking at Tankathon right now, and they did a three-round mock draft, and they have us taking Raekwon Davis, which makes me excited because that's my guy. He's not anyone else's guy on the planet, but that's my guy. Just can't help myself, man. Um, looking at the Blake comment, when I first heard it, it, it felt as though, or maybe it's just when I read it because I didn't actually listen to it, it sounded more definitive that he basically flat out said we got to get rid of him. And although I do think it's, it, I'm, I'm at like 90% that he's gone, I don't know that that's exactly how he meant it. And it, it also doesn't really make sense that a GM would just come out and flat out say that he needs to go. I think he kind of just talked about the fact that his contract is up as an additional challenge. In other words, we want him, we, we need help at linebacker and we're potentially going to lose one. And so we got to figure out what, what to do there in terms of bringing him back and possibly adding more guys or do we let him go and then we need several more guys. You know, it, it just, he was sort of illuminating the depth of the problem at linebacker, which, you know, from our perspective, again, it's another position where you can look at and say, we can get a free agent and still draft a guy third, fourth round, whatever, first, second round. Yeah, it's not impossible. We tripled up on edge rushers, our first pick and two free agents. It's not impossible. However, with that said, I'm, I'm fairly confident that Blake Martinez is going to be gone unless it's a very team-friendly contract. The, the biggest thing in Blake's favor is twofold. Number one, and they're both kind of the same thing, but number one, it's the fact that he's the one wearing the helmet. He's the one making the calls. We saw what happened when we switched that up and gave that to HaHa Clinton Dix and how much of a nightmare that was because the fact of the matter is not everybody can do that job. Some people just need to, to tune all it out and just, you know, tell me what to do and I'm going to go do it. And it takes a special kind of person, and, and Brian Gutekunst illuminated that. And the fact of the matter is his, I guess both points are kind of blending together, so we'll just say this, his his mental acuity and his familiarity with Petten's defense and the fact that he's been Petten's guy and he's the one setting all this up, you really take a big step backwards when you remove him from the team because you have to find somebody that can fill that role. So they have to, first of all, learn the defense and then tell everybody what to do and where to line up, even though he knows less about the defense than everybody that's already out there. And if we think about it, the Packers have done a bit to try to make sure that these are intelligent players. I think Oren Burks was talked about um, as an intelligent football player. Blake, obviously coming from Stanford, one of the most cerebral kind of football schools that there is. Probably the most, if you look at the the blend of athleticism, how good they are, and, and uh, you know, it's not Yale, you know, good football programs that are very academic. I think Stanford is kind of the standard, and... Um, Gutekunst talked about that. He mentioned how important that was. When asked about speed, I think he talked about intelligence. And so when I was looking at it, I think guys like Evan Weaver out of Cal is another kind of um, academic type school. I think Weaver's, that would be a little bit disappointing. I don't exactly know what he's going to run, but he's just a tackling machine, which is kind of that whole thing. Um, Cameron Brown out of Penn State would be another one. Uh, Asmar Bilal out of Notre Dame. These are kind of those, Just, I mean, you know, you can be cerebral and go to wherever. You know, just because you go to Alabama doesn't mean you're a dummy. It just means we have to vet you a little bit more as far as you're, you know, because getting a C at Alabama isn't quite being like a 4.0 student at Stanford. We got to make sure that you, you can kind of run through some stuff. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, he did mention speed, as I've said. Uh, here, here's sort of where I think about speed. We're not just talking about 40 time. However, that does come into play. In other words, I think what we're looking at with speed, actual actual running in a straight line speed is a sort of a lower limit. In other words, you get to a point where you say, below this point, it doesn't matter how mentally intelligent you are, getting there doesn't matter. Or, or you know, you're not going to get there in time. So there's a certain level of speed you have to have. And I don't know what that line is, but it has to be there. But the point that I've been trying to make is it doesn't matter if you run a 4-3 if you can't process what's going on. I just watched Patrick Queen for the first time um, yesterday because I, his name is popping up like crazy. Suddenly he's becoming like the number two linebacker. He's flying up the board. Linebacker out of LSU? I don't know. But if you just type in Patrick Queen verse, which is the best way to find film on him, don't watch highlights. Go to watch actual breakdowns of them playing. The first one that popped up, I don't remember who they played, but it starts at a goal line stand. And watch what happens on fourth down. He makes, I think, the last two tackles in a row. The example of what I'm talking about is Patrick Queen. It, let me just find it. So this is, pa type in Patrick Queen verse in YouTube. It is LSU versus Texas 2019 all snaps. It says Patrick Queen versus Texas 2019 all snap. This is at the one minute mark. It's fourth and goal. They will circle Patrick Queen so you know who he is in yellow. Now I have no idea 
what his 40 time is going to be, but watch how quickly. There's no hesitation. There's no question about what's going on. The second the ball is snapped, he runs as fast as he possibly can to the correct direction because the mental processing was there as though he knew the play, and he just sprinted to right where the quarterback was, right through a hole, and tackled the guy. Because the fact of the matter is the blocking was there. There was a hole that was set up. He was not supposed to get there, though. He's the far side linebacker. So everybody is essentially accounted for except the one guy who's not even supposed to be there. And look, again, I don't know what his speed is, but I can tell you right now, number one, if he doesn't sprint instantly, this is a touchdown. He has to process this and do the correct thing immediately, and he does. And secondly, again, not knowing his speed, I guarantee you there are faster linebackers than him that wouldn't have gotten there. So that was speed on display. But what I'm saying is half of his speed is athleticism. Half of his speed took place upstairs. And that's when, 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 I'm, when I'm saying the Packers need to look for speed, and I, I'm not saying they're doing this because, again, they're, they're obsessed with spark score and athleticism. I'm hoping that they're, they're thinking in this manner. The mental processing portion of the speed part of this thing, especially for linebackers, I think is massive. Linebackers and running backs, the ability to see something, to process it, and to react. Aaron Jones is phenomenal. It's part of the reason he does what he does. It just, he just flows. If there's a spot, he sees it, and his body just reacts. He doesn't have to think. He doesn't have to, to – the gears aren't turning. He just plays. And so, again, if, if I've been talking about this for a while. If you want to see an example of it, again, it's Patrick Queen versus Texas 2019, all snaps at exactly the one-minute mark. It's a beautiful representation of everything I'm looking for in a linebacker in that one play. Um, otherwise, just kind of some quick hitter little notes here. Uh, he mentioned how he was very happy with Aaron Rodgers and the way that he played, said he still thinks he's playing at a really high level. Um, a lot of this is kind of reading tea leaves and trying to decide whether or not this is just, quote-unquote, coach speak or, I guess, GM speak or if he actually means it. And I think the the great thing about Gutekunst and, and a lot of the guys in charge now is there isn't a, a lot of coach speak. They're, they're going to take a little bit off, right? Again, he's not going to go to the podium and say these, we have garbage wide receivers and I tried, but I failed. There's just nobody. I'm sorry. But he's also not really going to sugarcoat. And so I tend to believe when he says he believes Aaron Rodgers is still a good quarterback and is still playing at a high level that he that he means it. Now, does that mean that he's saying that he's not regressing at all? No. I mean, I think, you know, there's no again, there's no reason to, to stand there and say that. But I have every reason to believe that he has confidence in Aaron Rodgers. And, and again, I trust Brian Gutekunst in his evaluation. And so I, I, I believe that he means it. And I believe the fact that he means it is a good sign for all of us that we should have faith in it. You don't have to. Again, you can you can process this stuff your own way, and if you think he needs to go, you know I'm not going to get mad at you. I don't get, I mean, I do get mad a lot, but I, you know, you're allowed to have your own opinion. I'm going to yell at you if I think you're wrong, but you're, I'm fine with you having that opinion. Um, we talked about uh, starting the process soon of getting Kenny Clark started. Um, generally, the whole reading the tea leaves thing, I would have been a little concerned with him kind of sounding cavalier, like, yeah, whatever, you know, we'll, we'll look at it. But I, I think especially with contract negotiations, everything is a negotiation tactic. And the problem with saying, oh yeah, we 100% have to get Kenny back. He is the key. He is, he's everything to this team. You just lost a bunch of money by saying that. And especially with high dollar negotiations, because you contrast that with what he said about Mason Crosby. He flat out said, we want him back. And I hope he wants to come back. That's a different situation. This is, we're talking about a guy that probably does want a decent amount of money. And that is a negotiation where you're trying not to spend too much. But I think they feel like they know his value, they know what he's going to ask for, and they're willing to pay it. It's just a matter of we hope he wants to come back because we want to pay him to come back, and we will. With Kenny, they know that Kenny Clark and his agent have the leverage to look at $20 million plus, and they're probably going to start the negotiation there, and the Packers are going to have no interest in paying that much, and this is going to be a tough, hard-fought, long negotiation. So when he goes to the podium, he's very cautious to not get excited about that, to be like, yeah, we'll look at it. You know, e- Even the fact that the- he's saying he ha- they haven't looked at it yet. The fact that this is just a part of the process, we'll get to that when we get to that. I think that's all negotiation. That's all, I mean, I'm sure that his phone has been ringing off the hook every day, and, and Russ Ball's phone's been ringing off the hook every day from Kenny Clark's agent, like, I, give my man his money right now. So, again, I'm not, I'm not reading into to any of that. Um, and, again, I, I, just based on the comments, I do tend to believe Mason Crosby will be back. There, there's the potential he may want to retire, which would be completely understandable. The guy's had a great career. He's made a lot of money, and obviously he has a lot to tend to at home with his family and may decide to, to take that route. I hope he doesn't because I do believe, despite some of the hate that he's gotten, especially going into this past year, I started getting uh, hate for saying that he wasn't that bad. People were flipping out about it. But obviously he has had a great year, and he's still a great kicker, and I'm hoping he's going to be back. Uh, the final note that I had from this press conference was his comments on Rashawn Gary. 
and again, trying to read body language and tea leaves and whatever, it's hard not to see the excitement he has about Rashawn Gary. The the questioner couldn't even finish getting the question out before he jumped on him and said, I disagree with the, the comment that he didn't contribute much. He couldn't help but smile. Go back and look at it. He couldn't help but smile when he was talking about the explosiveness off the line. Because the fact of the matter is Rashawn is a freak. He's got some learning and growing to do. But as he said, when he was out there, he did disrupt the quarterback. And it was largely because he is just an absolute... He's a freakish human being. I mean, that's not even hyperbole. He just is. You just don't see people like that. As big and as fast as he is, there's... I don't know who would be a bigger freak on this team in terms of just athleticism that should not exist on a body type like that. Rashawn might be the guy. I mean, Savage is fast, but he's he's a smaller guy. I don't think there's anybody on the offensive line or offense in general. I mean, Devontae's a great football player, but it's not because he's an athletic freak. I'm, I'm talking about, like... Uh, Michael Phelps, you know, how his whole body is just built to be an athletic freak in the water. That's Rashawn Gary with football. He is just a genetic freak that shouldn't exist, but he does, and he's a Green Bay Packer, and that's amazing. And and, and again, you can just see Brian Gutekunst when he's talking about him. He would not tolerate a single word of negative talk about Rashawn Gary. He couldn't help but smile when talking about Rashawn Gary. And simply said what I've been saying kind of all year, that it's, it's... when he's on the field, he's productive. He doesn't get on the field very much for two reasons. Number one, he's still raw, and there's only so many things that he's adept at doing, and he needs to to grow there. And that was one of the things Gutekunst mentioned, is you try to get him to master one thing first, and then you move on to the next thing. So primarily, I think they're trying to put him outside to master that. Once he gets more adept at that, they're going to try moving him inside once in a while. Because he talked about how he feels like he's going to play that Zadarius Smith role and be able to be that guy who can move anywhere from outside linebacker to nose tackle. But it takes time to build all that. But again, there's no question in my mind that from, at least from Brian Gutekunst's standpoint, he, if he could go back and do it all over again, he would take Rashawn Gary. There is almost no doubt in my mind whatsoever. And again, that, that gives me, me excitement because I trust his evaluation and I trust all that. And I do try to look for little hidden cues that maybe he's not super excited. I mean, go, go contrast that with how he talked about Kingsley Kiki. You know, he, sa- he said the same thing about being excited about guys like Montrevious Adams and Kingsley Kiki. He followed that up with, but these guys need to step up and do their job. That was one of the most pointed, like, ouch comments he made the entire time outside of depending on what you think he meant about the Blake comment. That was one of the most slap-in-the-face things I've heard a, a GM or coach kind of ever say. It was, it was uh, I think it, the, the comment was, they need to step up and do their job, but I, I'm, sh- I'm confident that they'll do that. I mean, that, that was, and again, there is a difference. It's not about, well, he's the GM, of course he's going to just say that. There's an element of that, but y- you got to have common sense when you're listening to him. Just because he says he's happy with wide receivers doesn't mean he is. However, I can look at the difference between the way he talks about Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage and the way he talks about Kingsley Kiki and Montrevious Adams. And I think we all should be better at that and not just lash out and just come to ridiculous conclusions, which is why I have to go back and listen to these things all the time because I'm baffled by some of the conclusions people come to at times. But um, anyways, I I think we are going to leave it at that. I've got a few other notes, but um, might as well leave it for tomorrow because it's not anything super pressing. It's more just uh, personnel type things, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, And we are at about an hour. So you folks have yourselves a fantastic Saturday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.